You guys, hello. Welcome to the whole healing. I am so excited for this episode because I am spending the episode talking about my 30-day fast. AJ and Adam are two wonderful, incredible physical therapists in Colorado Springs. They're also vegans. And so this carnivore, omnivore, high-fat person is going to have a conversation with two vegans about my 30-day fast. It's going to be really freaking interesting. Um, they're also endurance runners. And so I hope that you guys enjoy this episode because this one was really rewarding for me. I love finding common ground with people who think so differently and it can be done in nutrition. So hope you are ready for the biochemistry, the science, the mechanisms behind this fast. It gets pretty sciencey, but it's also hopefully digestible for you. And um, I hope you enjoy all the love. So I thought it'd be a great idea to bring Jenna on, kind of talk about this fasting piece a little bit more who it's appropriate for, when it's appropriate, what are the pros, the cons, things to consider all around this. Sweet. Jenna, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and your story and stuff. And then just know that we will put all your, your business info and anything you want in the show notes. So anybody who's interested in reaching out to you, they'll have that. Um, so um, no need to kind of like, you know, go through contact info or anything, but tell us about yourself and what you do and, and all that stuff. I appreciate that, AJ, and thank you, Adam, um, for the for the story. I think it's a, I think it's important to talk about. Um, so, just a, be, a brief background about myself. I'm a performance dietitian. I um, I kind of got lucky and landed my dream job working for the Denver Nuggets coach right out of college. Um, so, I was working in Highlands Ranch with an athletic training facility. Worked briefly um, with the Colorado Avalanche with a handful of the Denver Broncos. Really had a lot of fun, and um, more recently in the past couple of years, have um, partnered with a CEO from Los Angeles, and we're bu we're building a nationwide dietitian. Oh my gosh, a nationwide dietitian private practice centered around nutrition, exercise, and mental health. So we uh, we work with dietitians from all over the country who are also personal trainers, uh, yoga instructors, sports nutrition specialists. Really trying to make a more integrative approach to nutrition. It's not just about the gut. It's about mind, body, and food. It's about everything. Everything's connected in the body. So, um, you know, along the journey, we've, we've been kind of talking about marketing strategies and I had happened to stumble upon fasting, uh, as I have a really big passion for metabolism and just understanding the human body in all of its forms, not just conventional forms. So, um, I started fasting probably a couple of years ago, just with the understanding that, you know, fasting is, a way to tap into our internal fat stores and become more efficient at using fat for energy. Now, there's many other ways to use fat for energy, right? Um, such as consuming a higher fat diet. Um, I think traditional orthodox sports nutrition really emphasizes high carb diets. And I tend to be a very big fan of high carb diets. Um, but I do think that it's important for endurance athletes to understand how high carb diets work, not just for the metabolism, but for digestion as well. Um, and understand how we can optimize those things to really tap into our fuel sources that we need to when we're competing and even training. So, yeah, um, Adam said it well, um, kind of stumbled upon me while I was doing the 30 day fast. The 30 day fast, um, I should I should preface it with this. Um, it was not for <laughs> it was not in any way meant to be targeted for athletes. Right. Um, I'm a metabolic performance dietitian, so I also work with morbidly obese populations. So people who are 100 or more pounds overweight. Um, having medical procedures or don't qualify for medical procedures because they're so overweight. And so in times where it's critical that we lose weight and, um, you know, get to the more important things such as why you're overweight in the first place um, after the fact, those are the kind of situations and typical situations where I feel that prolonged fasting protocols are appropriate. 
Now, I, I do think that it's also important to note that Unfortunately, in the in the world of nutrition as a whole, we tend to get really compartmentalized when it comes to diets, right? When it comes to eating protocols. But fasting, you know, we're doing it right now as we're talking. We're not eating. And so any time from, you know, one second to 30 days or more that you're not eating is true fasting. And so with this intermittent fasting, it's become so popular, right? In the research and in the literature about um, intermittent fasting and creating a time window where we're not eating well. It's very true that like when you go to sleep, you're actually intermittent fasting, right? Um, you're creating a time where you're not eating and so that therefore your body has time to rest. And when your body is not processing food, toxins from the food, um, things that are in the food that are chemical additives, whatever you want to call it, nutrients even, um, our bodies are doing the work to heal because that's what our bodies naturally do is they heal. And so when you're fasting, you're potentially speeding up that time frame for that healing process to occur. It's interesting because um, with athletes, I think what's not considered is how much faster an athlete's metabolism is compared to somebody who doesn't exercise. So if you think about it, with exercise, you're actually revving up your metabolism. You're pushing your foot to that gas pedal. And so somebody who hasn't exercised in days, months, years, their metabolism is running much, much, much more slowly. I tend to talk about it like an engine, right? So where somebody who has a morbidly obese BMI may only be running at like 23 miles an hour. The average athlete's metabolism is running 75 plus, you know, and especially with our endurance athletes. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for me to find somebody who, you know, um, metaphorically speaking, their metabolism is running at 93 miles an hour. And so if you think about it, somebody who's got a metabolism that's running 23 miles an hour can very easily go from dinner at 5 p.m. one night to, you know, let's call it breakfast at 11, 12 11 a.m., 12 p.m. the next day. And it's the same effect as somebody who's got a metabolism that's running at 93 miles an hour who has a midnight snack and then eats breakfast at 7 a.m. We really got to start thinking in terms of metabolic rates and and, and really in terms of, of, of rates in general when it comes to biochemistry, because I think if we can look at it that way, then fasting doesn't become such a demon. It can become utilized with everybody, but it's, it's the duration that matters. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Because like the athletes are always, the, you know, the runners, the endurance athletes are always like, I'm always hungry, right? Like, and there's the joke, it's like more snacks, right? Um, yes. So <laughs> anyway, I'm just curious, like 30 days fasting, like that's just crazy. I'm just, so you actually did that and right? I mean, you actually didn't eat, is that, so just to clearly define that you didn't eat for 30 days. Yeah. So let's talk about what, what, what really the fast was, because this is interesting. So what I truly technically did was I wanted to explore the effects of inflammation when it comes to meeting your nutrient needs. So what I did is I, I went down the list and I calculated every single one of my nutrient needs from, you know, vitamins A through E and minerals, you know, uh, let's call it calcium, calcium through zinc. And, um, and everything that's essential to the body, right? Uh, the idea was to give myself everything that I needed from an essential standpoint to see if there was an effect on inflammation. Um, so that being said, you know, my micronutrients were in check, my macronutrients, the macronutrients of being carbs, proteins, and fats. Um, you know, there's this saying in the world of unfortunately traditional orthodox dietetics that you need carbs to survive. Um, but the truth is that you need glucose to survive. Glucose is the building block of carbs, but interestingly, you can also build glucose out of proteins. And so when you have protein, you can make your essential glucose via gluconeogenesis, 
Um, and then the only thing that's essential um, as far as macronutrients would be your essential fatty acids, such as omega-3 and omega-6. Omega-9 is a conditionally essential fatty acid. Um, and so, and, and, and if you want to think about it, like in this term, like protein, is that essential? Yeah, well, it's essential if you want to maintain your muscle mass. And I did want to maintain my muscle mass. So that's why I decided to just do a 30-day fast with um, what I calculated to be the amount of protein that would maintain my muscle mass. So I was doing about anywhere from 130 to 150 grams of protein a day in the form of collagen peptides. Collagen peptides have all of your essential amino acids with the exception of, exception of tryptophan. So I was taking tryptophan along with probably, you know, 20 other supplements trying to get all my nutrient needs in. And so what my findings with this were, you know, I did a bod, a bod pod scan before and after I lost about 17 pounds, um, 11 in fat, and I think four or five in, um, in, in muscle protein. So even while I was meeting my protein needs, I still lost muscle tissue and, and inflammation was present because my immune system suffered. So, so even when we meet all of our essential needs, guys, there's still inflammation present with fat loss. And so that's why it's not necessarily effective to do a 30-day fast. Now, this was more so coming from a spiritual level for me. Um, there's a practice in yoga called pratyahara, withdrawal of the senses. And pratyahara, the, the idea behind it is stimulation, right? We have a lot of stimulating things in our everyday life, exercise, um, sugar, alcohol, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all that good stuff, right? Like everything's very stimulating in our modern day society. But in yoga, what they believe is when you take away this stimulus, you're able to kind of have a more clearer mind to make decisions for yourself that are not so uh, biased or so influenced by the outside world. Um, there's a newer idea in the world of nutrition, and, and perhaps this is not necessarily um, as relevant for runners, but perhaps there are some runners out there who have a lot of carbohydrate dependency, right? Sugar cravings, um, you know, food cravings. Yeah, and in general, right? And it's, it's a struggle, right? Because when we have these really high- I raised my hand. For everyone yeah. who can't see. Are you, a, are you a sweets person, AJ? Oh my God. Give me yeah. a donut right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so so really what's happening when you have those sugar cravings is something um, called dopamine stimulus in the mesolimbic pathway of your brain. So this is cool. So um, there's there's this pathway in our brain called the mesolimbic pathway. And so whenever we eat sugar, there's a, there's a cortex from our tongue to our brain in this mesolimbic pathway. And what this does is this, this taste sensation of sugar stimulates dopamine release in our mesolimbic pathway of our brain to release and, and fire and essentially give us pleasure. And so what we're essentially doing is we're dumping our dopamine whenever we eat sugar. And so when you dump your dopamine, what happens is your dopamine receptors get overstimulated and we adapt by receding these neural receptors. And so what happens eventually is once your neural receptors are all receded and you don't have as much dopamine at baseline, we tend to crave or we tend to feel a drive for more sugar to feed the fewer receptors that we have left. Yeah. Does that make sense? I've, I've uh, this, this is clearly explaining my donut dreams when I try to cut down on my sugar. So <laughs> yes. But, uh, yes. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, it, it, and it, I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like I need it. You know what I mean? Like, um, and cravings is one thing versus like, I finish a run and feel like I need a cookie kind of thing. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's just my sugar. No, rant. AJ, it's so valid. And this is really important for athletes to know because there's different types of cravings, right? Like there's a big difference between a dopamine dependency psychologically and a true depletion and, and overall metabolic need for carbohydrate replenishment, right? 
Um, with all the athletes that I work with, I would say maybe five to 10% of them are actually meeting their carbohydrate needs. And if you're not meeting your carb needs, your bodies are getting to a place where they're having to tap into your muscle stores for energy, because guess what happens when you run out of glycogen, the carb that's made from glucose, your body has to eat its own muscle tissue for carbs. And so why are we eating? Yeah, I know. Right. Like, so why are we eating our own muscle tissues for energy? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and that's what happens. And honestly, honestly, AJ, you can compare that to, you know, a four or five day fast. Um, because when you're running, you're pushing the fast forward button on your metabolism. And if you're fat pushing the fast forward button and you're not providing it with more energy to replenish, then you're just burning through your muscle tissue, just like I did on my 30 day fast. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't have an issue with carbs. I, I'm vegan. So, well, so is Adam, but like, you know, carbs are just so easy for us. Right. And it's just like, but, um, anyway, yeah, I, I had a question. So like the muscle breakdown that you experienced, uh, during your fast now, uh, so with the way I look at it with like, you know, build or keeping, you know, building muscle or, you know, tissue in the body is, is that right. You have the protein, the protein is necessary for maintaining and building, but, but at the same time, the, the calories are important too. And I used to always think of it as like a, um, you know, the, the, the protein is like the actual, like, um, you know, the building blocks of like building a, a building, but then like the workers, that are actually stacking those blocks being like the calories that you provide. I don't know. Is that like an accurate assumption or is that, or does that speak to why maybe you lost some, some like muscle mass during that fast because like calorically you were deficient, but protein wise you were, you had enough like, or what, what is your hypothesis there? Uh, man. And we're talking about some innovative stuff. Like how many studies are there out there where, you know, a 30 year old female is doing a 30 day fast on protein. There's zero, right? Like yeah, this is true. super yeah. experimental. It's, you know, uh, white, white papers being written and hopefully submitted and accepted. We'll, we'll see. But I think what you bring up is a really good point. So, you know, even in ultra endurance athletes who are highly conditioned to tolerate protein as an energy source, you're really only getting anywhere from six to 12% of your calories from protein itself. And so your, your calories are really never, ever coming from protein. They're really there just to maintain muscle and tissue. And so where you're getting your energy source from truly is carbs and fats. When I was doing the Manitou incline, and, if, and for, the, for those of you who don't know who the Manitou incline is, it's a, it's a 2000 foot ascension in 0.8 miles. And so I was- it's hell. It, you know, it's basically, man. no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's hell or heaven, depending on who you are. No, I'm just Honestly, kidding. honestly. And, and, and for me, it's, it's my jam, right? I was, I was doing it during 2020 COVID. I was doing it three times a day. That is I, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. for you guys, like, you know, you're, you're, you're probably, you know, you're talking about anywhere from like what, 25 to, to 35 max minutes up the incline. But for, for, for me, you know, doing it three times, I was taking my sweet time because I didn't want to, mm-hmm. didn't want to tank. And so, you know, doing 90 grams of carbs per hour is like perspective, like a, a slice of bread has 15, Oh yeah, um, you know, like 90 there's is crazy. It's so much, it's so much. And, and especially with like gastric, um, you know, mobility and like slowing down while you're running, like you really have to prepare your gut for that much carb. Um, and so that's why like it becomes so innovative and, you know, juicy or interesting to like consider <laughs> fats for energy as endurance athletes. Cause if you're anywhere from what 45 to 65% of your VO2 max, you're talking about a sweet spot for fat burning. And if you're going slow, then, then that can really be beneficial. And, and so for those who are more, you know, my track athletes, my sprinters, you know, the high intensity athletes who are burning, you know, and getting up to like 75% of their VO2 max, those guys are the people who are burning primarily carbs for energy. 
And so the idea with endurance athletes is if you're if you're in fat burning zone most of the time, can you benefit from being more fat adapted or consuming more fats to actually become more efficient at metabolizing fats? I don't know. I just I just feel like even like my easiest runs, like, you know, me running at RPE, you know, like four. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what that would be from a percentage of my VO2 max, but I feel like it's already probably above the level that I would be. I don't know. Maybe I'm, really? maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't think so. RPE of four, like usually it's an RPE of seven where you really get to your for your to your true carb burning VO2 max. But here's the thing, here's the thing, AJ, is if you're training, if you're competing, you better be at 80% of your VO2 max because you're going as fast as you can. It's it's more so for those slow runs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, we're talking about ratios, right? Like we're never gonna talk in terms of zero and a hundred. Of course. But the current sports nutrition literature does support is the notion of training low, right? So training low is this idea that you train with low carbohydrate availability in in the sense that you actually develop metabolic adaptations to other substrates such as fat. So there's there's mounds of research showing that ketogenic diets do not support sports performance, right? Like it never will, unless you're fat adapted or keto keto adapted is really the true term. And it takes, you know, anywhere from four weeks to, to nine months to become truly keto adapted if, you know, and depending on your intensity of training, um, depending on your genetics, there's so many factors to it. So so no, I'm not talking about a high fat diet. I'm talking about more fat. And so, and what does that look like? What does your training okay. look like? You know what I mean? It's it's really important that we talk about numbers here because I have athletes who, you know, train with 15% fat. I have athletes who train with 35% fat. And what your intensities look like are going to make a big difference there. My 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 basketball players who are playing at 80% of their VO2 max should not and do not benefit from a 40% fat diet. Yeah. And so, so to be clear, you're not like saying people should be training keto ever unless unless you know i have i have one athlete who is um type 1 diabetic who just really doesn't want to inject insulin and so she does ketogenic and she's the the one client i've had out of the hundred of clients i've ever had who actually is keto adapted and she can actually train heavy and you know and but she's been doing it for years you know what i mean and is it worth it because like then you don't need to then you don't need carbs and like, I don't know anybody in their right mind who wants to avoid carbs the rest of their life. You know what I no, mean? No, that's, that's <laughs> torture. Yeah. yeah. Fruits and vegetables, right? Like, why would um, you, why would you avoid that? that? There's so many antioxidants and vitamins that you're missing out on that you have to supplement with. And are you really going to take a pill every day the rest of your life? It's just not practical. Okay. So, so let's not get into the extremes. Let's talk about the nuances because that's kind of where that sweet spot is with optimization of training. Okay. So I think over the course of this conversation, people will already know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. So it's really black and white that it seems like you need to be very calculated with this. So my guess is that doing your homework, unless you are really skilled at reading and deciphering the literature, a spending 10 hours on the internet, you know, over a few weeks is not going to be sufficient to prepare you for this. And instead, you should really seek out a dietitian who knows this stuff, knows this space to help guide you through this. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Um, your Google search is, is, is not equivalent to a nutrition degree. And like, there's so much nuance to it, right? Like there's so much personalization and individualization. We're, we're as diverse, you know, there should be 7 billion different nutrition plans for 7 billion different people. And so to take these, you know, stock cookie cutter, you know, intermittent fasting plans and say, this is going to, this could or couldn't work for me. is like throwing at a dart at a board blindfolded while spinning around 
hoping that it lands on the bullseye. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's insane to think that like that actually is how it works. We're so, we're so unique and individual and like actually working with a professional and, and tailoring it to your needs, you're going to find answers. And most of the time health insurance covers it anyway. Um, so, so why wouldn't you, you know, take that low risk for high return in pursuits of something that's going to help you in the long run? That's kind of like, uh, you know, you asking for what spice your soup needs without tasting it. So um, I can't really, you know, that needs to be catered to the individual. It's going to really depend. So yeah. it's almost like that's the exact same thing for for what you do as well. Um, everybody needs something a little different and it's based off of their individual needs. So that's awesome. Yeah. Medical field stuff, right? <laughs> but people don't get it. They're like, oh, I just do Google it do the cookie cutter approach or whatever, even with like run training stuff too, coaching. It's like, oh yeah, the off the shelf program is just as good as a coach. No, you know, it's like, anyway, cool. Good stuff guys. I appreciate you so much. I, I really think this is a good conversation and I can't wait to, can't wait to tell people about it. Yeah, yeah we'll this was wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on, doing this for us.